Happy Brews Day Tuesday, everybody. My name is Caroline King, and you're listening to Bitch Beer. everyone. Welcome back. Thank you so much for sticking with me. I am back. This is so exciting. Bitch Beer Podcast back in action. Uh, I took some time during the holidays to spend time with my family and also focus on my health. I had a bit of a health scare go on, but everything's fine now. Um, Y'all, this COVID is just, it's throwing everything for a wrench. So yep, I am back, back on Instagram, back on the podcast. And also the podcast is now available on Spotify. So yeah, very excited about that. So please take the time to rate and review Bitch Beer Podcast. So that way people can see how great bitch beer is and just spread the word of beer to people everywhere. That's all we could ever hope for. (laughs) So, but no, thank you so much for being back. I'm so excited. Today's episode is really wonderful. I speak with the ladies of Sierra Nevada, one of my favorite breweries on the planet. It is, and I don't pick favorites, but Sierra Nevada is pretty much up there. Uh, We speak with the ladies of Sierra Nevada to speak about a really important topic in beer right now, which is sustainability. And being able to talk on this topic because climate change is happening, it is here, and it affects beer a lot. So we're going to speak with Sierra of Nevada about how sustainability is not just a trend. It's been a way of life from the beginning. So I'm really excited for you to hear their story, how they got started, and also just go into ways that they've made change in their community because they're a pretty heavy player in the game. So being able to make it easier for other breweries to take part in sustainability and do their part, reducing their carbon footprint, it's pretty awesome. I learned a ton of fun information that I'm excited to share with you. At the end of the episode today. Also, I have a special bonus episode. Um, I am adding bonus episodes on Patreon. So today you get it for free. Um, and this is going to be the beer journal. So every single month I speak with a bottle shop and they get to choose the beer that gets featured and it's six beers. So three beers local to Atlanta and three beers out of state. So it's a really great way for us to explore new beer together. Cause I feel, I don't know about y'all. There's just so much beer out there. <laughs> That's why I started the podcast. I was overwhelmed. I'm still overwhelmed. The more I learned, the, yeah, (laughs) I still have so much to learn. So being able to talk with experts in the community is going to be awesome. So today I talk with Hunter from My Friend's Bottle Shop, which love this bottle shop. They're one of my favorite spots in town. They're around the corner from my house. So I'm in there quite a lot. So Hunter has some great information about the beer that we're sharing. And then moving forward, those episodes will be available once a month on Patreon. So Follow the link in my Instagram bio bio for Patreon and all of that information. You get some fun, exciting swag and treats and special personalized things from me. Um, and also it helps the podcast. It helps to where I can buy more beer and talk about it. <laughs> but yes, today's episode is great and I hope you enjoy. Cheers. <laughs> All right. 
right, everybody. Hello. So I have Ashley and Mandy from Sierra Nevada. How are y'all doing? Good, good. Glad to be here. Awesome. So um, we'll go ahead and start with Ashley. Ashley, if you could introduce yourself and tell us what you do with Sierra Nevada. Yeah, I'm the Ashley Mooneyhan. I'm the external communications manager at Sierra Nevada. Uh, been with the company for gosh, going on seven years. Um, but yeah, I get to, I have the coolest job in the world cause I get to bounce around and do this kind of stuff and talk about some of the best beer on the planet and get people really stoked about that. Yeah, that's, that's a fact. I love Sierra Nevada. It's like one of my favorites. <laughs> and then Mandy, talk to us about what you do with, with uh, Sierra Nevada. Sure. So my name is Mandy McKay. I'm the director of sustainability and social responsibility. Been with the company about almost 15 years wow. and have really helped build our whole sustainability program over that time. And uh, I share Ashley's uh, excitement for what I do because we've come a long way and it's a really exciting time and there's a lot going on in the sustainability and uh, social responsibility world. So um, yeah, looking forward to talking more about it. That's awesome. There is, and there is so much going on right now with sustainability and then just kind of going back to um, Ashley, what you do. So external communications. So what exactly is that? And what, how does that kind of play into what you do with um, Sierra Nevada? Well, it's kind of a bland, I guess, job title sounding right, but it's really, um, you know, it's PR, it's media relations, it's campaign building. It's, it's all kinds of fun stuff and marketing and just, uh, you know, dealing with, with uh, folks like yourself and like having really cool conversations and stuff like that. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a very professional sounding title. So I really like that. (laughs) (laughs) It's way cooler in practice. I promise. That's awesome. (laughs) And then Mandy, so with sustainability, um, so with that being like your full time, like what you do with Sierra Nevada, how, so how long have you been doing this position? And then, so how, how did this kind of position come to light for you? So we've been, so the company, so Sierra Nevada has been dedicated to what we now call sustainability for really since our founding for decades. And, um, you know, I've only been in the role, like I said, about 15 years prior to that, um, really our owner and founder, Ken Grossman, I, I like to call him the first sustainability coordinator or sustainability (laughs) manager of the company, um, because really a lot of what we're doing now, we've always done come from him and his just personal philosophy on how he lives his life and how he wants to operate this company. So it's really kind of been baked into who we are and just these values of responsibility and efficiency, continuous improvement, um, just thinking about our impact on the environment and on our community and in our with our employees' lives and the resources that we buy and the products that we make. So um, currently, what my team does and what we focus on uh, now uh, is operationally focused, but then we're also looking a lot more external moving forward. So on the operational front, we manage all of our kind of environmental initiatives. So anything related to energy or water conservation wow. uh, or energy generation, uh, we look at our zero waste program. We were integral in building our lead platinum facility, which I think we'll talk about. Yes. Yeah. Um, So anything that has to do with sort of environmental or social responsibility initiatives and efforts, that's what my team does. Um, And then, as I mentioned, what we're working on now is thinking a little more outside of our four walls. So we've spent decades thinking about our own internal operations. How do we make them more efficient? How do we reduce our footprint? Uh, And now we're thinking a little bit bigger across our supply chain and how do we reduce our greenhouse gas footprint? So from an emissions standpoint, we're thinking about setting climate targets um, for emissions reductions, again, up and down our supply chain. So those are the things where my team's talking about now. I'm really excited about. That's really awesome. There's just so many different moving parts to this 
that go into and I don't think people realize like how much goes into it. And because Sierra Nevada, y'all are like one of the OG like craft breweries. So, and I love that you like definitely included that, hey, like it's called sustainability now, but it's just like what we do as a company since we started. So from the founding, cause I know you said your founder has a, um, like a, a personal philosophy. So can you kind of go into that? Like from the founding, like why that was so important to you all, like before it was cool to talk about sustainability. Yeah. I think again, if I, if we think about Ken and who he is as a person and, and his lifestyle, a lot of it comes from just him understanding our impact on the world and his impact of his company on resources and the environment and the community in which, you know, we work in. Um, but then a lot of it too, especially in those early days was really out of necessity. And it really comes from that being very efficient and being very resourceful in how you operate a company. So, you know, there were days when, uh, we couldn't afford to buy new bottles. So we asked for people to bring bottles back and we refilled them. (laughs) I mean, those are very early days, but things. So a lot of it, some of it, I would say came from true necessity of just making sure the business could keep going yeah. um, when we were really, really small. And uh, as you mentioned, there was very few craft breweries around when we started in 1980. Um, so some of that just comes from pure necessity and resourcefulness. And again, Ken is, he's naturally thinks that way. He's an engineering, he has an engineering brain. Um, mm-hmm. And so a lot of that comes from that side of it. And then the other side is beyond yourself and beyond that necessity and just the responsibility of operating a company and in, in what we think is the best way to do that. And so we were a leader and, and have been a leader in many regards. When you think about zero waste or um, on-site solar investment, you know, we've been leading the way for, for a long time. And uh, we were the first company to receive platinum zero waste certification in our operations. Again, lead certification is another first there. So we've, we've had these kind of milestones along the way and yeah, pretty, pretty proud of kind of the history and then looking forward to doing more now that things are shifting though, you know, you can't just do zero waste anymore. You can't just put some solar on your roof. Yeah. Um, it's bigger now and the conversation has shifted. So, uh, we need to continue to lead the way on that front. I, I love that. And so when you talk about zero waste, so let's go back to that topic because, so what exactly does zero waste mean for anybody who doesn't really know that? And I'll leave that question open for both of y'all. It's a great question. And so it, there's really not a official definition, uh, in certain certifications there are, but really what it means is just thinking about all of your waste streams, mm-hmm. Um, understanding how to divert them either from the landfill or, you know, put them into a recycling or compost stream. Can you reuse them? Can they go into a different process? So it's thinking holistically about your actual waste streams, Mm -hmm. but then it's also looking upstream from those processes. So yes, you might be generating a lot of empty cans or bottles or cardboard. Mm -hmm. uh, So make sure you're doing the right thing with those once they occur. But zero waste is really about, Hey, do we even need to generate that waste in the first place? What are the things we could be doing to not have materials that we then have to divert from the landfill or find some other use for? So it's a little bit of going above and beyond just recycling and composting. It's it's thinking upstream. It's getting creative. It's being innovative. It's looking at efficiencies and continuous improvement. And it's training and educating. So we spend a lot of time in educating our employees on what zero waste means Mm -hmm. so that the last thing you have to think about is whether to recycle or compost or landfill. It's all the other stuff that should have come before that. So it's more of a philosophy. Um, And then when you get into like certain certifications, technically, if you're going to call yourself a zero waste facility, 
you have to be diverting at least 90% of your waste from the landfill. That's kind of a basic informal definition of, of zero waste. How difficult is that to do as such a large company? Also a good question. I mean, it, it's, it's hard, it's difficult and easier if you're, if you're large. So if you're bigger, you actually have more ability to divert because you can collect things in volume and the more volume you have, the easier it is to find an outlet, especially in recycling. Uh, if you can collect things in bulk, uh, you're usually able to find a buyer or a, a process or a facility that can take a specific material. It's harder to do that when you're small. The flip side of that is that we obviously have a lot of, you know, we have two large facilities, we have a lot of things going on. So it is a lot to manage. Um, and we have a lot of different bins and programs and processes and things in place. So employees get a little overwhelmed. Um, yeah, but if imagine. you do it right <laughs> and you, your signage is there and you do the education and the training, it's, it's very doable. But it does take focused effort. And we've built up the zero waste program for more than a decade now. And then when you talk about waste streams, so is that like different types of like your cans, like, or like things that were like low fills or like cardboard boxes or like the grain that was used in the sparge or, uh, is that, are those like the different waste streams that you would encounter? That's exactly it. So anything that we would consider solid waste would fall into that category. So like you said, cans, bottles, cardboard, Mm -hmm. shrink wrap, strapping, other packaging materials, spent grain, Mm. pretty much anything that's leaving our process, leaving the brew house, leaving the packaging line, um, coming out of break rooms, coming out of the offices, anything like that is going to fall into that sort of zero waste slash solid waste category. That's what I meant to say. Spent grain. I said sparge for some reason. I know that's part of the brewing process, but definitely not what I meant to say. (laughs) All good. It's all good. All good. There's, you know, I feel like there would be really, this is a good time to mention Mandy. Um, the, the recycling co-op that Leah Cooper worked on for Mills River. I think that's such a cool story. And it's also just something that's scalable for other brewing communities around the country. Oh yeah. Thank you for bringing that up, Ashley. I'd love to hear about that. Uh, Yeah. I think, and Ashley jump in again, if you want to add more, but kind of going on that uh, line of thinking I was talking about earlier with taking that next step of thinking outside of our own operations we had an opportunity in Western North Carolina, where our second brewery is, take everything we've learned around zero waste and to take our size um, and our, our leadership and help build a community centralized zero waste co-op um, wow. for all the breweries in that region, or at least that are near us within about 20, 25 miles. And there's a lot of breweries out there. It's a great brewing community. They're, most of them are smaller. And when, again, when you are small, you don't have the ability to collect things in bulk, which means you can't get a hauler or someone to come pick up those materials from you. Brewing industry generates a lot of things that aren't traditionally recyclable in just like a curbside regular uh, recycling program. So they have to be collected separate. And again, when you're small and you only only have a few super sacks to get rid of. There's no one that's going to drive to your brewery to pick up those two super sacks. So what we did was we worked with the local uh, materials recovery facility, which is where all of your recycling goes to get sorted. We worked with um, American Recycling, helped them get a grant to build a separate drop-off location at their facility for all of those small breweries and other companies. We've got other companies now participating in it outside of just brewers. Um, But you can now bring your, you know, your waste there if you want to have your own zero waste program and you want to do your part by diverting your materials, you can now go there, um, which was really the only 
way that those facilities can do it because they're so small. So I'm glad Ashley brought that up because it's really cool. And my, my teammate, Leah Cooper worked really hard for about two years. Way to, to go, get that Leah launched. Cooper. It's awesome. Very successful. Yeah. That is so cool because that's so, that's such a great way to engage with your local beer community and help them on something that's a really big issue. Cause I mean, I know here in Atlanta, we have a ton of smaller breweries that all help each other out. And something like that is just such an amazing way to just come together and help for the bigger impact. And it seems like you all do a lot of work to just not just, you know, create a smaller carbon footprint for yourselves, but also help other smaller breweries do the same. Since you're really big in the industry, just, you know, creating that space for them, which is really, really cool. So what are some other ways that uh, smaller breweries can kind of lessen their carbon footprint? I know that's kind of a big question, but what are some ways that you would kind of suggest if you were to come in as a consultant for a brewery? Like what, what, what are some of the first things that you would look, look at, at their operations to, to help them with that? Yeah. And, um, I'm glad you mentioned sort of working with the industry and leadership. So that, cause that's something that Ken, I'll go back to him. <laughs> He's also been really, because we had a lot of help in our early years, um, wow. from fellow brewers and others he has continued to kind of pay that back um, over the years. And so we're heavily involved in the Brewers Association uh, and other organizations that help small breweries with, yeah, uh, best practices and insight and guidance. And because he had to learn it all himself, right, with with no help. So he knows what that feels like. Um, and he's been very generous with time and support. So for the Brewers Association, um, I sit on the sustainability subcommittee there. And that's our whole job is what you just asked mm-hmm. is how how do we help small breweries understand what they can do from a sustainability perspective? Because again, it's different if you're larger like us or, or smaller. So I would point small brewers to the resources that are available on the Brewers Association website. So there's four or five different manuals Mm -hmm. that are written specifically for small breweries around energy, water, waste, green building, wastewater. Some of the things that these smaller breweries tend to face um, around those those key sustainability topic areas. Um, So those are really great resource. um, And there's a bunch of one pagers and other content on there if you're a Brewers Association member. If not, though, there's really what I usually tell people is just start tracking and looking at the things that you're doing. Track your energy consumption, track your water consumption, Mm -hmm. look at your solid waste generation, just start looking at it and tracking it. It's the best place to start because if you don't know what you're already doing, what your current practices are, what your footprint looks like, then you really can't set any targets. You can't start implementing programs or processes or training employees if you don't actually know what you're doing. So I usually encourage people to just start with the basics and get a handle on what what your footprint and your operations actually look like. You know, and I would add to that, Mandy, too, like going even further upstream than that, it starts with a mindset, right? Like, I think that's like a a big reason that, uh, you know, Sierra Nevada has been a leader in that space is that it really started at the very top with our leadership and with Ken, um, you know, kind of instilling that as a, a key part of our culture. Um, so, you know, at the brewery on like day-to-day operations, um, just, just the mindset of sustainability and, um, the way that the kind of zero waste processes and operations really take place on site at the brewery. It's just, it becomes, um, you know, just part of the way that you move through your day at the brewery, right? You know, the recycling, the composting, the, and the thinking of, um, resources that you're using. I mean, even down to, if you want a cup of coffee, there's no 
disposable coffee cups on site, right? It's, it's <laughs> we're actually all issued when we get hired. We, we're issued our standard issue Sierra Nevada uh, clean canteen mug. You know, That's it's, cool. it's just part, part of the culture. I really like that. That's so I love how all the details are in there because I've, you know, I've been I've been lucky enough to be present at a lot of breweries here, like for canning days or like been there for production because I get so fascinated by the operations. And you see how quickly like once you're weighing the cans out when they come out of the canning lines for the smaller operations, you see like, okay, if one little thing is off, like all of a sudden, like this section doesn't have like the, you know, these are considered low fills and those are the freebies that they take home or whatever. (laughs) Those are the ones you bring to the family barbecue or whatever. But no, it's, it's so amazing to be able to be able to be so hands-on with that process, process, especially when you guys are such large scale production, but also be able to make that attainable for smaller scale breweries, some that don't even have distribution. So I think that's really cool. And one thing I didn't know until I started this podcast really was like spent grain. A lot of times, like they'll leave aside for farmers to pick up for, you know, farmers to pick up for their like cattle or like their livestock to, to eat, which I was like, oh, that's really cool. That's awesome. So, so many different amazing ways that these breweries can be um, contributing to that. So, so from I'll the just dis- add, not to, not to interrupt you, but oh, to please do. kind of go off of what Ashley was saying and what you were saying, I think if you ask, especially younger employees now, but really any employee and really any person, most people don't want to be wasteful. Most people want to do the right thing. Most people want to feel good about what they're doing and what their, their work and how they spend their day. And so I think, um, and then the flip side of that is that pure, even from a pure economical, you know, bottom line business sense perspective, thinking about your footprint and your waste streams and this kind of philosophy around sustainability. We do, I I should have mentioned this, but we really think about it as the balance between environmental, social, and economic needs of the company. Yes, it feels good. It's the right thing to do. It's what we all need to be doing. But if you think about it, waste usually is expensive. So if you can think about whether it's wasted time, wasted labor, Mm. solid waste, water waste, whatever it is, there's usually a financial component that is going to be supported by by focusing on these things. And people, again, most people want to be engaged. And back to the culture comment, it it helps when you're surrounded by people that are also on the same page and everyone understands why this work is important uh, and what their role is in it. Wow. And, and actually, that's a great point that I'd like to speak, that I'd like us to elaborate on. I feel like the general culture in general right now is people don't like being wasteful, like you said. And so like things that I'll do just uh, like, you know, the little plastic pop tops for like the can holders, I'll like collect those all the time and just bring them to my breweries. And they're like, oh, this is great. So like, what are some like other ways that people that are just consumers that what are ways that they can kind of help with breweries and things that they can do that can make an impact for our local breweries? Well, I was going to say, I can think of one thing right off the bat, because this is, I, I've been on a soapbox with anybody uh, <laughs> that I can talk to about this, but um, cans that are, that have a, that shrink wrap or that uh, like kind of sticker label on them, they cannot be recycled with that label on them. You have oh. to remove the label and then recycle that can. Um, and a lot of people just don't know. They, they you know, they, they toss their, that, their can with that label into the recycling bin and they're, um, they're tossing in with so much hope and so much intention. Um, unfortunately it it isn't going to get recycled that way. So anybody that's listening, 
if it has a removable label, take it off before recycling. Oh my gosh. I love that, that Ashley, because so you're so right. There's a wish cycling is already a problem. <laughs> Everyone just wants to recycle everything. So everything goes in the recycling bin, which actually causes way more problems downstream. Um, so you should not wish cycle, but that's a perfect example. And even if it is a little hard to remove, do it because it does really make a difference. And, you know, I will say that most, this is going back to small breweries, a lot of them don't have an option to have mm-hmm. printed cans, right? They're not large enough to get printed cans with no sticker label or shrink mm-hmm. sleeve. So it's kind of the only option right now for a lot of small breweries. But because of that, there's a, that's, it's a big problem um, in the industry and even outside of beer, right? Any, any can or can that's using a shrink sleeve or a label, they do cause problems in recycling. And so it is important to remove that. That's a really, really good example. And we've just added, you know, we do use some of those on our small runs. And eventually, I mean, we were looking at small scale can printing technology and the whole industry is, it's coming. It's not here yet, but would love to kind of eliminate uh, that sticker or shrink sleeve because just from the recycling perspective and, you know, people don't have to remove them. But we did just add some language around, um, you know, please remove this label uh, to our to our labels and our shrink sleeves for that reason. It's a really good example. Oh, and that so you guys, so you put that on your labels to be like, hey, remove this before you recycle. Oh, that's so great. Yep. I love yeah, that. We just, we just made that change. Hopefully people will start seeing it out, but to provide that education, because as Ashley said, most people don't know. And you just, you know, you just throw that right in the recycling bin and think everything's fine, but they do, it does lead to some contamination down the line. Uh, yeah. And not to mention, there's some great beer that are inside cans like that, that absolutely. are labeled like that coming from some really great small breweries too. So uh, just understanding there's a small action that consumers can take to enjoy that beer, but then also make sure that it gets recycled the right way. Yeah. Well, and a, a lot of these smaller breweries, especially when they do like so many limited releases as well, that's kind of their only option because like getting printed cans just isn't something that's like sustain it's just not attainable for them so yeah that's great for us to know like hey take that extra like yeah it sucks to kind of like wrestle with it for a second and you may break a nail one or two times but like let's <laughs> let's do it's it. it it's worth it <laughs> that's awesome that's th- those are great 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 tips I love that and then so moving forward with carbon pr- footprint so what are some things that you all I know you mentioned earlier um different ways that you with deliveries and um, I'd love to talk on that. And then I'd love to let you have the floor for your lead certification. Cause I think that's really cool too. So on carbon footprint. So, um, we're still again, back to that kind of tracking where you're at comment. We completed our first comprehensive greenhouse gas inventory a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a lot of work to do that. Um, cause you're literally looking at everything from the growing of barley all the way through the supply chain to when a consumer has your container and is trying to figure out to recycle it. So literally every step, yeah, from, from farm to kind of, you know, packaged product, you are looking at what's the carbon footprint of that whole chain. And so we completed that a couple years ago and you you should update it every few years. So we're about to do it for 2021, but that's the first step. And then from there, you see what you're where your biggest opportunities exist in terms of emissions reductions. For most companies, including pretty much every brewery, um, 80 to 90% of your carbon footprint is going to be in your supply chain, which is true for Sierra Nevada. So it's, it's upstream, but also downstream. So our operations, one, because we have done so much 
improving the sustainability of our actual operations Mm -hmm. through solar and zero waste and other things there. It's only about 15% of our carbon footprint is our actual breweries. Everything else is up and downstream. And so that's a whole nother level of like working with our suppliers, helping them. What can we do to support reducing their carbon footprint? Because if they change their practices or implement certain things, it then improves our inventory because we're part of their supply chain and vice versa. So it's really this bigger conversation around how do we all work together with our suppliers, with our partners, our haulers, um, you know, anyone that's touching our product, how do we reduce carbon at all each one of those steps? So that's a big meaty conversation that is, we're just kind of uh, embarking on now and hoping to set some clear targets around that in the near future. That's awesome. I'm just like, my brain is going crazy right now from grain until you have like the can in your hand, like all the different <laughs> steps that are involved with that. <laughs> it's a lot. And to ha- take but, inventory on that. So that's very advantageous. I, I mean, that's just, that's a lot. So <laughs> way to go, y'all. <laughs> you know, and a lot of companies have, have gone down the same path. And that's what you see now is the trend. Um, And it's great to see is that corporations and companies are doing this because they understand the impact that the business community as a whole, um, you know, we have a responsibility. Governments have a responsibility. Local community organizations have responsibility. Universities, tribes, uh, educational institutions, hospitals, everyone has to do their part when we're talking about climate. I heard one of my favorite kind of climate educators said something the other day that like really hit me and I thought I already had my head around it. But, um, you know, climate change is not another bucket of information or something else we need to do. Um, It literally is the hole in the bucket that we are all in. And so you have to <laughs> I love that. think That's about funny. it a little differently. I mean, it's that, terrifying, but yes. <laughs> it's terrifying. It really is. And we can be honest about it. It is terrifying. But if you sort of think about it that way, it's like no matter what you do, uh, what are, whatever your role is personally or professionally, we all have to sort of be on this same page when it comes to to this this work and the action that needs to happen in the next 10, 20, 30 years. So it's the next step for sure. I think that's that's such a great way to put that because it's like, hey, like this is all happening and yeah. it's we're <laughs> the, all it's in it. The whole the hole in the bucket that we're all in. I'm going to have to I'm going to write that down somewhere. That's really good. <laughs> and then Ashley, from your perspective, too, with external communications and PR and social media. So taking that on with Sierra Nevada, like what are some ways that you like to push that out into the world where it's just like, Hey, we've been doing this all along, but let's all, let's all get on board. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. And you know, it's going back to what we were saying earlier, it's just like, it's part of our culture. So there's kind of like a a built-in story element there. Right. So when we've got things going on, like, for example, we've got a, uh, a program coming up next month, uh, kind of in conjunction with our, our seasonal release powder day IPA, uh, where we're partnering up with, uh, protect our winners or POW, POW, as some people, uh, might be familiar with it, but, um, protect, sorry, non- protect our winters. Yes. Protect oh, okay. Cool. Our winters. Yeah. Check out their website, protectourwinners.org. Um, and they're a nonprofit and their, their big mission is 
um, advocacy and the advancement of nonpartisan policy uh, around climate change to protect the the wild places that we all love, you know, outdoor spaces. Um, so it's a collection of, you know, like athletes and um, organizations and uh, just a whole collection of people. Um, and they need all the support they can get because they're doing really positive work out there. Um, so we're partnering up with them to do a donation drive to, uh, wow. to, yeah, to, to advance their funding for 2022. Um, so, you know, there's little things like that. We have opportunities, um, with partners that we have across the spectrum. Um, and when we can, we try to talk about it so that we can get other people just aware of, you know, that protect our winners is an organization that exists. That's doing really positive work. And we also have, um, partnerships with a slew of other organizations. Mandy, you probably have a better, more up-to-date list of those types of organizations, um, that are, you know, working on that type of work, right. You know, like just educating, uh, the consumer about what's going on in our world and, um, ways that they can make an impact in their local communities and that sort of thing. Um, so we're, we're tied really closely to that just by the nature of the way that our business has kind of grown over the years and the culture of sustainability, so, you know, we just take advantage of those opportunities when we can. That's awesome. I just, I, I love this organization too. I'm totally going to look them up and I'll provide a link in the show notes for them too. And then also, so I, what I really like about that, it's the nonpartisan part of that because one question I definitely have, because y'all have been very public about your opinion of, I mean, when I say opinion of climate change, it's something that's happening, but do you ever... Do, what do you do when you face backlash of that? And have you experienced any backlash from consumers that are just like, Hey, this is liberal bullshit. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good question. And I think the important thing here is we're, we are not trying to be on a, um, uh, a political stance, um, by any means. What we're interested in is, uh, affecting change that is affecting our business and impacting our business and the future of our business. The future of beer mm -hmm. is, uh, absolutely impacted by what's going on in the environment. Um, and that's important to us. And so we think of long-term sustainability, um, and, and as Manny mentioned earlier, sustainability isn't always just about in the environment. It's also about, um, the sustainability of our business, of our employees' lives, and um, you know, so on and so forth. So, if we think about that kind of in a long-term type of thing, this is an important thing for us to really be uh, advocating for um, in, in the short term. So, and Mandy, I know you can add to that too. Yeah, I mean, I think there's not a single company or organization that probably hasn't had backlash, right? And especially in today and yeah. this day and age. I mean, you're, you're going to get all kinds of things and responses and really, you know, that's fair and that's fine. And that's, it's, it's like, it, you really can't kind of go by that. Right. Um, because we know, as Ashley said, it's, it's a, it is climate change in particular is, is a nonpartisan issue. Yeah. Uh, we know it's going to affect our supply chain and our communities and our employees and our facilities. We, it already has, um, you know, it's already happening now. So it's really not something, you know, the debate is sort of over. We don't really engage there, but um, to Ashley's, as a business, we recognize we have a leadership role to play around advocacy and that right. we can uh, affect positive change 
we're going to get some backlash. Everyone is going to get it. And that's really, it's okay. It's okay. It's not the point. Um, but we know we have a role to play there and it really is actually self-interest, right? I mean, it, again, if we're, if all of us should be thinking about it's our a capitalist own society, we need to, yes. <laughs> we need to think of our bottom line here, <laughs> our own long-term sustainability. You have to think about these things yeah. and it is, you know, it's, it can be terrifying and it can be, it's, it is, it seems like it's so far into the future. It's absolutely not. So it's a lot of this is psychology. A lot of it is a social conversation rather than a political one. So, you know, I think, as you said, we've, we don't really put our, you know, we're not going to sell our product based on this is how we run our business. This is, this is our values. Like we don't really do a lot of that because frankly, I think we make the best beer out there and it's really good. And it's, it's pretty great. That's why people buy it. And we, you know, we spend a lot of time thinking about innovation and quality in our products. So that's what you see in our, in, on the shelf. Um, but as a company and our values, yeah, you're going to see us out there talking about policies that we think will support long-term resiliency in our economy and in the environment and in business. Yeah. And I'll say too, uh, you know, the backlash is going to come, but the important thing is um, it's not going to make us change course. You know, we're, we're on this course and this is an imperative for us as a business. You know, the backlash isn't going to uh, knock us off course. I really love Ashley. I think you've even said it, or I, I might be misremembering, but you know, if when Ken first started the company, and again, if you think about that time, very few craft brewers even out there. Craft wasn't even really a thing, American craft. So he faced a lot of challenges and barriers to even starting this business, to, to even starting a craft brewery. And a lot of people told him, you're crazy. This doesn't even taste good. Why are you doing this? What? Why are you spending all this time? Um, and I, you know, he will tell you and he has spoken about it, you know, how challenging that was and what he, and so, you know, if he had listened to them and heard all of that, we wouldn't be here. Sierra Nevada wouldn't be here. The whole landscape of craft beer in the U S would look very different. And so, you know, I, I, I like to think about that a lot. Um, when it comes to like backlash. I don't even want to think about a world without Sierra Nevada. That makes right? me, me really neither. sad. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I love the points that y'all have all gotten onto because, you know, you're like, we have industry experience. We literally work with these realities every single day. We're not p- picking a political side. We're picking it. We are moving forward in the way that makes our business be around here for another 40 years like this is this is our goal 40 years 140 years however long the earth is going to last until you know (laughs) oh no oh gosh did y'all see that movie don't look up (laughs) I was just thinking about it as well and I wasn't gonna say it but I'm like yeah that you your comment made me think about that it was so good my family is very good it's so good I love that and my family's you know very um they are yeah they're in Louisiana, it's a it's a red state. So we watched it, and they were like, "Oh my goodness, can you imagine if that would happen in real life?" I'm like, "It is. That's the point of the movie." <laughs> I thought it was pretty brilliant and pretty spot on. I had to. I'll even confess, though, as much as I spend my time thinking about it, even I had to watch something happier afterwards. Oh, same, because you know it is yeah. again going back yeah. to that terrifying comment. That's where we're at. We're, we're really at a point where we really have to start looking up. Yeah, we do. All of us. Like you said, we are in the same bucket with a hole in it. Um, (laughs) and it's all of our problems. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, and then, okay, so I would love to talk about, so one thing that y'all told me about is your lead certification. Is that what it is? Yeah. So our Mills River Brewery in mm-hmm. Western North Carolina, it is the it was the first production brewery in the U.S. to achieve lead platinum certification, wow. which is a huge accomplishment because it does take a lot of effort. And that certification is pretty rigorous. And what and does it, that mean? So what is the uh, if you want to go into that for me? For sure. Yeah. LEAD stands for Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design. So it's really a building certification. It looks a little bit at how, like the operations, but it's mostly around how it's built. What kind of wastewater management do you have? Are you educating people that come to the brewery? Mm -hmm. Are you providing uh, electric vehicle charging? Are there large windows so that there's natural light coming in uh, and you're using less energy and employees are more comfortable and happy in those spaces? It looks at a whole host of things around the actual design of the building. Wow. And we went into building that brewery knowing that we were going to achieve some level of LEED certification. So we knew going into a region that we are not as well known. So we're very well known in California, especially in Northern California. People know who we are. They know our operations, our practices, our values. We're less known on the East Coast. And so when we were building that brewery, LEED was a way to help us identify who we are as a company, Mm -hmm. what's important to us, how we do business, because that was a way to showcase that literally in in the design and the operations of the building itself. So we went into it knowing we would, you know, at least get LEED certified and there's different levels. There's uh, silver, gold, platinum. I think there's a bronze also. And then as we were building and as we were going through the design and and the construction, we just kept kind of inching up and, well, what would it take to get gold? And, oh, okay, well, what else, what would we have to do to get platinum? Uh, And so we kind of kept looking at the scorecard and got to the point where we thought, oh, I think we really can get to that platinum level, um, which included looking at how the brew house uses energy and how efficient it is, which that's the, the kicker. It's hard to incorporate operations into the lead certification, but we did that by including our whole brew house in there. And so that's what got us to that platinum level. And it's a beautiful facility. If anyone happens to make a trip to Western North Carolina it's or you go out there, it will blow you away. And it blows me away every time I go. That's awesome. I'm going to have to go up there because I go visit my girl Hoppy Hayes all the time up in Charlotte. So I'm going to have to be like, all right, we're doing this. <laughs> Do it. Yeah. Make a trip. yeah it's worth it. That'd be so much fun. Oh, that is so cool. I'm just like so excited for you. I'm so excited to have y'all on the podcast. Y'all are just so when I like reached out to you guys initially, I was like, oh, I hope they want to be on my little podcast. But you guys are just great. This is awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. This is great. And then North Normally I ask these at the front, but I really wanted to like get into like the meat and potatoes of this. So I'd love to like learn more about y'all and how you got into the beer industry. Ashley, do you want to start us off? How did you get involved in the beer industry? Oh, that's such a funny question. We were just talking about the Mills River facility. So um, I was actually uh, working in for a, a restaurant franchise headquarters um, in Atlanta oh, cool. um, in the marketing department. And um, I, I came up to do like an industry friend of the industry, you know, kind of thing tour when the brewery first opened back in 2015. And, you know, I liked my job, my pre- previous job. I didn't have, you know, any reason to want to leave. And then I visited the brewery and I was like, oh, this place is amazing. I I, I want to work here. So I went online and signed up for job alert emails at Sierra Nevada as a service. So if you're interested, 
go online, you can sign up and put in what kind of job you're looking for. And a, a couple of weeks later, actually a job popped up and it was uh, just fit exactly with the skills that I was, you know, working in honing at that time. Um, so I was able to, to get on board with Sierra Nevada several years ago, back in 2015. And, and so that's really how I got started in the beer business. It was really, it was just, it went from a hobby and a personal interest and like sort of something I did with, uh, with the restaurant, restaurant franchise group that I was working with. Um, and then, you know, I've turned it into a career and, you know, it's, what's really remarkable though, about this industry is, um, and as you know, I'm sure, um, the, the, the competitors, the competitiveness is just a totally different it's just a different environment than any other industry I've ever seen where, um, you know, we are, we're willing to like help out each other in different ways. It's like, Oh, you want to learn more about sustainability. We want you to learn more about sustainability, you know, like let's, you know, work together, um, to really drive the whole industry forward. It's just, it's such a, a cool and unique industry and I love it. That's awesome. Uh, and then Mandy, how did you get involved in the beer industry? This is always a little embarrassing oh, gosh. because I, truly, truly just fell into it and almost didn't even, uh, <laughs> so we're, we're headquartered in Chico, California, mm-hmm. which is about an hour and a half North of Sacramento. Uh, Chico state is the university here in town. Um, so I went to Chico state and moved to Chico from the Bay area to go to school here, uh, graduated from Chico state. So I spent about five years. Uh, yes, it took me five years, uh, to graduate Chico state that entire time. I didn't even know Sierra Nevada existed. (laughs) I had never been to the brewery, like the worst college student ever. Right. Um, So I I was graduating and looking to move out of Chico because there aren't a lot of jobs in Chico. It's not, you know, a huge town. So most graduates end up, you know, you move, you move out of the area to find a job. So I had went to school for sustainability and for environmental conservation. So that was my focus in school. Um, and then as I'm looking for jobs to leave, uh, my predecessor who was already working here at the brewery, um, you know, was hiring a part-time sustainability, kind of like an intern. And she was like, yeah, I think you might be really good for this if you're interested. And I was like, Sierra Nevada, like, okay. Oh, it's that brewery. There's a brewery in town. Um, and so I, I really came at it from sustainability is my background, environmental conservation is my background. And I was fortunate to have worked with, again, my predecessor in school. So she just knew me. She knew my education, asked if I was interested in supporting. And I, I started that part-time job that quickly became full-time. And 15 years later, I'm still here. So that speaks to the company and Chico. And um, But it's it's always a little... I love Sierra Nevada. I love the beer industry, but I had no, I had no no clue about it. And and actually, that reminds me that the thing I'm also working on now, outside of sustainability, but related to, is an effort around diversity, equity, and inclusion, which oh, is why wow. I love your podcast and oh, I love what you're you. doing. Because we really there's a lot of people that do not know about the craft beer industry. Mm-hmm. They don't know it's a an industry for them. They never even thought about it. Um, and we have a lot of work to do on that front. So as amazing as this industry is, we could, we could do better in, in being more for everybody and being yeah. more inclusive and, uh, just attracting more people. Right. Um, so I, I love that work that we're doing now and 
it's good to see the the movement on that front within the craft beer industry. It is so amazing. And even since I started my podcast, so many people, it's just changed so much and it keeps growing. And I love the work that you're doing. I think that's great because it is, it's so needed. And I love your story because there's so many women in this industry. They were like, I didn't know about beer, but I started doing marketing for the company and now I know everything. And it's like, that's right. dope. That's the way it should be. Like, I didn't know shit about beer before I started this podcast. I wanted to learn because every time I went to a brewery or a bar, I loved the taste of beer, but I'd get mansplained about hops for 15 minutes. And I'm like, exactly. Just talk yeah. to me about like why, like, you know, but yeah. And then I was, you know, started interviewing women and it's just come from there. So I always tell people like, you don't need to know about beer to work at a brewery. Just find out what your skill level is. And then put yourself in there. So like I did a really great panel at Dames and Dregs, uh, Dames and Dregs Festival here in Atlanta. And Rachel Kiley, um, who's the president of the Craft Brewers Guild here in Georgia, she made some great comments about that because she's she said the same thing. She's like, hey, we need an operations supervisor, but you don't need to know about beer. I would so much rather teach you about beer and have somebody that knows how to work my back of house than, you know, anything. So I think it's so encouraging to let people know like, hey, find where your skill set is and then just ask your local brewery. It's like one of my favorite things when people can like, you know, quit their day job to like work at a brewery and, you know, do great. <laughs> You're so right. So and, uh, you know, like Ashley said, like you we're we're an industry that loves to share. And so that is all you have to do is ask. Um, but I think your other comment was even more perfect of, we have to get away from this. Like you have to know beer to like really be successful or get a job at a brewery or be part of the industry. No, you can learn it just like you can learn anything. And so I'm, I'm glad to see us moving away from this, like, oh, you gotta, you gotta be really, you really have to like be in the know to, to work at a brewery. No, no, you don't actually. <laughs> um, and we probably need more of the opposite. So yeah, I think it's great. It's so true. I will just throw this in there too. I mean, you know, people are always so surprised at some of the job listings that we have in our facility. And of course, you know, our facilities are, are you know, on the bigger end relative to, you know, some, some of the smaller breweries that people are um, enjoying. But I mean, you know, we'll put postings up for like an electrician or a security officer or an arborist, um, you know, uh, there's, so there's cool. just a whole, yeah, there's this, we have organic gardeners. I mean, you know, there are a whole slew of um, jobs and skills that are that are really needed um, that kind of fall into the umbrella of the beer industry. It's such a big, wide variety of things. So if you're interested in it as a hobby, like you go, go, don't be deterred. Go, go look into it. There's going to be something for you there somewhere. I love that. And it's so encouraging, especially the two of you, because you're such powerhouses in this industry and you've been with Sierra Nevada for so long, which is a powerhouse in the industry as well. It's so encouraging to hear that because I think sometimes like you go like craft beer, it's, you know, we can't get away from it. It's male dominated. And, you know, until women, you know, yeah, sometimes men are mean sometimes, not all the time. I love our guys. And I have some of my best friends that they can be kind of mean sometimes about beer because you'll be like, oh, I really like this, you know, this beer. And they're like, no, that's trash beer. I don't know. I'm like, shut up. If I like it, I like it. Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. I think all of us have similar stories, right? Even guys We're who aren't moving in the beer in a good industry. Direction. I know. And sometimes not even people who aren't in the beer industry, you know, I'll be like, oh yeah, I run a beer podcast. Really name 97 varieties of hops right now. I'm like, <laughs> 
Wow. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> oh, so, man. But no. And I, again, I never, I don't like to hate on men because we all love them. They're, they're, they're needed. But yeah, sometimes we got to, sometimes we just got to power through it. <laughs> Yeah, well, your list of, you know, the people that you've been interviewing, it's, it's really, I saw you um, talk to Dr. J. Oh, she's my a, God. She's, she's a partner amazing. of ours as well. And, That's awesome. Um, folks from the VA. And it's, it's just, uh, it's great that you're highlighting those voices. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. I'm just glad that people even want to come on the podcast. So it makes me really happy. <laughs> <laughs> But no, ladies, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I am so excited to share this episode. I'm doing a series about climate change and really like breweries. So this is just going to be such an amazing highlight to talk about, you know, you're one of the biggest breweries in the, in the world. I was about to say country in the world. And so being able to talk to you all about your sustainability efforts and well, I say efforts, it's really just your policy from day one. So being able to highlight that has been really, really special. So I really appreciate y'all coming on and, and, and talking to me about it. Absolutely. I'll just throw into um, if people are interested in kind of more nitty gritty. We do have some pretty cool interactive maps on our website Ooh. that you can find um, that walks kind of does a virtual tour of all of our sustainability initiatives at each of our facilities that are kind of fun to check out if anyone wants to learn more. What a great episode filled with so much information and nice little tidbits that I can share at my next cocktail party or bottle share <laughs> where I can sound intelligent. Um, yeah, pretty much the reason I sound intelligent is because I listen to the amazing people on this podcast and learn from them. So thanks, y'all. <laughs> Big shout out to Sierra Nevada for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much. It's such a huge honor to be able to speak to these amazing breweries from everywhere. So it's it's really great. It's great to be back. I'm so happy. Uh, please don't forget to rate and review us on Spotify, Apple iTunes. I'm going to start reading reviews. So maybe you'll get featured. That's one of, yeah, maybe you'll get featured. Just rate and review and maybe I'll talk about you on the podcast. <laughs> and then also coming up, uh, Bitch Beer's four-year anniversary is coming up March 22nd. And we're going to have a big party at the Monday Night Garage. It is a Tuesday night. So great time to come out. It'll be nice and fun. It is a fundraiser for St. Jude Children's Hospital as well. Um, as many of you may not actually know, um, my baby brother uh, actually spent about two years of his life at St. Jude Children's Hospital and his life was saved because of them. He is thriving now and doing great and pretty much in remission. He just goes there every six months for checkups, but he it just, the reason my brother is still on this planet is because of St. Jude Children's Hospital and the wonderful things that they've done for so many children and also cancer research in general. So that is just an amazing organization that I am so proud to work with and help. So this event will be benefiting St. Jude Children's Hospital. And thank you so much to Monday Night Brewing. They have donated their event space, the, I almost said the champagne room, <laughs> the chandelier room. 
the chandelier room um, at the Monday Night Garage. And we're so excited. It's going to be a great time. I'm going to have a silent auction filled with tons of awesome items that you'll totally want to bid on. It's going to be a huge range of things. We also have a huge beer treasure chest as part of the raffle. Tickets are $5. Link to all this info is in my Instagram bio and on the website, bitchbeerpodcast.com. So you'll find out all the info. And yes, it supports an amazing cause and you'll get to party with me who, I mean, what could go wrong? This is going to be a great time. (laughs) And so with that, we'll go ahead and continue with our very special bonus episode with my friend's bottle shop. Y'all enjoy the rest of your week. Cheers. I have Hunter Kent, our beer expert for the month from my friend's bottle shop. How's it going, Hunter? Good. How are you doing, Kevin? Doing good. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm so excited. Um, So talk to us. First off, let's get to know you. So talk to us about yourself and your background. All right. So like Carolyn said, my name's Hunter from my friend's bottle shop. I've been in the beer business for, I guess, like eight years now. Wow. Started out with me and my business partner. Uh, we're friends in college and started homebrewing all the time together. And one thing led to another. And after college, we decided, you know, we traveled around for a while, drank plenty of beer everywhere and uh, decided we wanted to actually get into the industry. So <clears throat> we managed to open a growler shop down the street from our current location. And <clears throat> the rest is history. But, uh, basically, after that, <clears throat> there was a opportunity for us to <clears throat> open a larger scale store. And we jumped to the opportunity. And after about four years in the making, we finally opened our doors in May of 2020. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, I was here because I, I just live around the corner from y'all. And I remember like seeing the sign for y'all to open. And I like I was like, oh, my gosh, when are you opening? When are you opening? And then finally you opened. Yeah. And I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it was quite the process. But, you know, we're super excited to be back in the neighborhood and, uh, you know, be able to offer much more beer and uh, everything else that we do. That's awesome. And the beer, I I love y'all's beer selection. You even have like a walk-in fridge to go into, like where you can get like a lot of like really great options. It's really, yeah, I love y'all's setup. It's awesome. Awesome. We we really appreciated that. Yeah. Also, of course, I can't go without saying your wine recommendations are always like (laughs) super on point. (laughs) Uh, Excellent. I I love to hear that. Glad you're enjoying the wine as well. It's so good. And yes, we're allowed to talk about wine. It's a beer podcast. We're going to be fine. Um, (laughs) um, but I will come in and I'll be like, all right, Hunter, I'm making beef cheeks. What do I get? And you'll like, give me the perfect recommendation every time. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's fun. So, uh, you know, my, my passion has has always been beer, but I've got, I've gotten into wine significantly over the years as well. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's such a fun world. I mean, it's, it's very relatable to beer, uh, but it's just fun to have other options for, you know, if you drink too many beers one night, you want to have some wine the next day. You know, it's nice to, exactly. nice to switch it up from time it's, to time. It's so good to mix it up. It's awesome. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, it's, and then all the spirits that y'all have there too. I got like the most amazing bottle of Mezcal there recently. And then, um, I got this like purple gin there. So yeah, all y'all's selection is really great. Uh, we, we appreciate that. I know Cam's worked really hard on, uh, expanding our, you know, spirit side, mostly Mezcal and bourbons. Yes. Um, so that's been a really fun world to explore as well. 
That's awesome. Well, let's, okay. Let's get into these beers. I am so excited. So we'll start, let's start with, so we have three local beers and then three out of state beers. We'll start with the local beers. Oh my gosh. I, so good word. So we've got good word any day now, dry hopped Italian Pilsner. Wow. This is amazing. Um, so talk to us about this beer. Uh, so this is a, a newer release from Good Word, but <clears throat> most of their Good Word is a little brew pub out in Duluth. And <clears throat> basically, they they just specialize in, I mean, uh, incredible beers across the board, but really where they shine is like their lagers and their old, old world classic styles. Um, so we recently got a drop of several different Pilsners, which is really neat to have four different like Pilsners or lagers from you know, an Italian style, an Australian style, a German mm-hmm. style, uh, and to see like the range that they can actually brew and do it very well. Uh, so yeah, I'm just a huge fan of everything Good Word does, especially their their Pilsners and Lagers are just exceptional. I completely agree with you. Good Word, Todd over at Good Word. He just like any sort of old world style, like the Italian Pilsner is one of my favorite styles that I had not tried until recently. I don't think I'd really even tried an Italian Pilsner until like last year. Um, Halfway Crooks. Same here. Yeah, like uh, Halfway Crooks did one. And then now this one with um, Good Word. Gosh, like these like old world styles are some of my favorite ones. And the dry hop to it, I did not think that it would make a difference but it's so it's just so beautiful it's so nice quickly becoming one of my favorite styles yeah elsewhere did a great great one and the uh you know the the dry hop edition it's just it's it's subtle but it just adds a layer of complexity to it that's just really pleasant oh yeah oh my gosh that's so awesome and then okay so next style we have three taverns kush double dry hopped india pale ale Oh my gosh. This is a, this is a heavy one. It's 8% ABV. Right. You got to be careful <laughs> with that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what are you, so what like really sticks out to you about this one? I'm a big fan of all things, three taverns as well. Uh, the, especially like their, their dark beers and their hoppy beers are oh, yeah. up there with the best of them. And th- this was perfect timing because Kush just came out like a, a week or two ago. Yeah. This is so, so brand new. And it's, it's been in the market before, but in small, small allocations of it. So we're always just excited to get any limited release from them. Um, what I really enjoy about them, they're just, they're so easy to drink, but they're so complex. The, the Kush has like these wonderful, like melon notes to it. Yeah. I don't know, they're, they're, they're like just soft and easy IPAs. It's so good. And so on the label, it says double dry hopped with cashmere, citra and Simcoe. Oh my gosh. All of my favorite hops. Like this is agreed gorgeous and it's um like the mouth feel is just i always feel weird talking about that but it's like so important yeah. <laughs> with a beer like this it's right. so good i love yeah, it's, it you know the the thick and like creaminess of it with it only being just double dry hopped it's not harsh or anything it's just like it's really soft creaminess and- that's a perfect word for it because that's exactly what it is it almost feels like yeah like having like almost a milkshake but it, it doesn't have any lactose or anything like it it's just it's right. so good Right. I couldn't agree more with that. That's awesome. They, this is such a good one. And then, okay, the the third local beer, Down Home Brewing, their tea palm pomegranate wheat ale. Oh, my gosh. They are so great. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we were also big fans of uh, Down Home and everything that they do. Just a very small brewery. We don't get a lot of their beers, but it, we always try to keep them in stock when we can. They're great. Uh, and the owners are so nice. And they're, they're correct me if I'm wrong, they're the first black-owned brewery in Georgia, correct? 
I believe that. I believe that is correct. That's awesome. They're so cool. And I, anytime I, they're friends of the podcast, for sure. They're such good guys, but their beer is awesome. Like this one, pomegranate wheat ale. This is just such a great flavor to it. And the pomegranate's not too overpowering. What were your thoughts on this one? Yeah. You know, out of, out of their beers, like I, I don't tend to drink a whole lot of wheat beers, uh, but I do, I think this one, might be my favorite one that I've had from them because it, it, it doesn't have that harsh wheat note. The fruit is like perfectly integrated. It's just like, it's enough to know it's there, but not being overwhelming or syrupy. It's still just like really clean, refreshing. It's just, a, it's a perfect beer. It's so good. I feel like this is such a sessionable beer too. Like it's, what's the ABV on this? It's six point six point three. Ooh, it's a little heavy, but right. still but like. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. A, I'm a very big fan of that beer. It's so good. Um, Maybe sessionable for like people like us, but for newcomers, right. <laughs> maybe just have a couple. <laughs> right, right. Awesome. So those are some pretty solid local beers. And then for the out-of-state beers, okay, so we've got the first one we have is Toppling Goliath. This one is so amazing. So strawberry shortcake fandango kettle sour beer. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. It, it sounds it sounds like a lot, but uh it's it's a very well done beer. It is so good and I love Toppling Goliath because I really loved like Big Sue and I've had a few other of their beers cuz they're based in um Iowa. Yeah, yes, Iowa. I believe it's De Decorah, Iowa. Oh my gosh, yes. It's the, the, I just read it on the label, Decorah, Iowa. That is, yeah, that's, their beer is so good. And then this one for Kettle Sour, 5.8% ABV. That's pretty, that's pretty good. But the strawberry yeah. in here, oh my gosh, this is so good. Yeah, I've, I've always been a big fan of Toppling Goliath. I remember back in the day, we used to, we used to trade for Toppling Goliath. Yeah. And now we're lucky enough to get some of their beers in Georgia. Uh, to my knowledge, this is the first time any Fandango has been in Georgia. And like Fandango is their sour series and they do several different variations. The one that's most popular that I've heard of is the cherry one. Mm -hmm. So when Strawberry Shortcake came out, I'm like, who doesn't love Strawberry Shortcake? Oh my and gosh, yes. So immediately we had to open one up and try it. And I've probably drank three, four packs of it already. That stuff is, it's, it's excellent. <laughs> it's so good. And it's just, um, what I love about it, it's not too, cause some of the like pastry sours or like the sweeter right. sours, uh, this is just really well balanced. And then the, like you, I actually feel like I can taste like the, the pastry in it too. And the, the cream it's yeah, it's really, really well balanced. Yeah. I think that's what the, that's what I enjoyed most about it as well as, you know, I always like trying some weird, crazy beers, Yeah, but sometimes they, they are a little bit much and it kind of edges away from a traditional beer Yeah, and by strawberry shortcake sours in no way is traditional, but it's, it's like perfect across the board. You get, you know, fresh strawberries, you get a touch of the graham cracker, a little bit of like whipped cream notes, but it's still tart and still tastes like beer. Yeah, that, that's the perfect way to put that. Still tastes like beer. That's because right. a lot of these places are getting a little too crazy. But um, yeah, this is it. It absolutely still tastes like beer. I love that. Agreed. Agreed. I've, I, yeah, I've, I've been really enjoying that one. It's so good. Oh my gosh, I could definitely. I will. De I can definitely see myself keeping like a six pack in the fridge. <laughs> yes, I, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> <laughs> and then this next one. This is just such a classic. Birds fly south. I love Birds Fly South. This is their Irish style dry stout. Oh my gosh. Amazing. Yeah, that that has been one of my all-time favorite stouts 
easily uh, with today's climate and everyone putting adjuncts in almost any dark beer. It's refreshing to have like just a classic style. And this is the epitome of what a dry Irish stout should taste like. It's perfect in every way. 4%. It, mm-hmm. it hits every single note. It really does. And the can art's really beautiful. I'll have pictures going up on Insta of this can art. It's so gorgeous, but the, it's just so it's full bodied, but it's still like has that dryness to it where it's not too heavy. And then, yeah, like you said, at the 4% ABV, it's super sessionable, just perfect for this time of year. It's yeah, it's really, really gorgeous. Right. It's, it, it's like, it's rich in flavor, but it's like fairly light the way like it sits in your stomach. You yeah. Know, it's like it, it has all those classic like chocolatey bitter notes, but it's, it's not, it's not a heavy beer. It's, it's uh, so yeah. perfect. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like having, like, it's got like the coffee, sort well, like slight hint of coffee and chocolate to it, but just right. like just enough to like, still like, it just tastes like a shout, a stout should taste. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's like what a stout should taste like. Awesome. And then, okay, our final beer and certainly last, but certainly not least, I (laughs) saved like personally my favorite for, for last. And I was not expecting this to be my favorite pipeworks brewing pastrami on rye. What the hell? (laughs) Like this is amazing. (laughs) Yeah, this one, uh, you know, so when getting this beer list together for you, I tried to hit you know, a variety of different styles, nothing overlapping too much, but you have a good array of everything. And if with six beers, you have to throw a wild card in there. And this was the wild card. This is just, I, okay. So it reminds me. So, okay. On the can, it says rye ale with smoked malt, brown sugar, black pepper, coriander seed, red pepper, and mustard seed. It is, it, it gives, it gives me reminders of the French's beer that came out with Oscar blues a couple years ago. And yeah. I was, I just thought it was the strangest thing. But when I tasted it, I was like, oh my God, this is delicious. This is so good. And that's what this reminded me of. I was not expecting to like truly love it the way I did, but it is, uh, well, first off Pipeworks. works. Uh, anybody who listens to bitch beer knows that I love Chicago. I lived there for six years and uh, Pipeworks is one of my, is just one of my favorite Chicago breweries, but they collab, they did a collaboration with Manny's Manny's is right. like the best deli ever. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I, I fully agree with Pipeworks. I, w- that was another brewery that we used to trade for. So to be able to have it on the, on the shelves, like consistently is just a real treat. That's awesome. Uh, what is, okay. This was probably my favorite beer like trip ever because, uh, having you as the expert, this was like such a good mix of everything. So yeah. Anybody that needs beer recommendations, you have to go see Hunter. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I definitely appreciate that. Most importantly, I'm glad you, uh, enjoyed all the beers and thank you. you Yeah, no, thank you so much. This is so exciting. I'm so excited to feature them. They'll be on the beer journal on the website. So we'll have descriptions of each one and then also on Instagram. And then before we close out, okay, I always like to ask this question. So you're definitely a beer expert. What was your first ever craft beer that you drank? Oh, man. I, if you remember. Honestly, I, <laughs> yeah, I would say I, I, I feel like it was a, a Dogfish Head or a Sierra Nevada. Oh, but yeah, they, solid. One of the first memories I have of buying craft beer, like seeking craft beer out when I was in college, there was a small little liquor store that did not have very much craft beer, but Weyerbacher. We used to always go buy Weyerbacher. Oh, I don't know if I've ever had their beer before. 
Yeah, and I, I don't. I honestly don't even know if they're still a brewery or not. Oh I gosh. think they pulled out of they pulled out of Georgia a while ago, and I don't uh, remember if it was distribution reasons or they were closing down. Um, but they used to have the, the some like crazy seasonals or you know high ABV spice like pumpkin beers and stuff. And it was Ooh. yeah, they're, they they made some excellent beers. But that that was the first one I remember like seeking out in the liquor store in my college town. Oh my gosh, that sounds delicious. Yeah, there's like so many breweries that have like started up and then some that are like not available anymore, which always sucks. But yeah, right. maybe they'll maybe they'll come back. That's that would be amazing. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> and then last question. If you were stuck on a deserted island and could only have a fridge filled with one beer, what beer would you want in that fridge? God, that's a, that's a really <laughs> tough question. <laughs> I mean, if I if, if I didn't have to pay for it, yeah. then it would be Cantillon. Anything oh, from Cantillon. My gosh, but, Red's Beer Garden had Cantillon on their on uh, for their anniversary. Oh my uh, gosh, that's amazing. Uh, <clears throat> that's awesome. But I think I think I feel like I might get tired of drinking pretty uh, acidic lambics all the time. So I think <laughs> I think I would have to say like a Trillium, probably like their like, <gasps> like Fort Point, Ooh. just their basic pale ale. It's the one of the best pale ales you can get. That is that's a fantastic choice. Awesome. Yeah, that's yeah, I can definitely see being on a if that's the only beer you can drink, like yeah, I'd be totally fine with that. <laughs> right. As long as you had a cooler to keep them cold. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know why it's a deserted island with only one working fridge and one plug, but that's that's the situation we're dealt with. <laughs> yeah. I'll take it though. I'll take it. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Hunter. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. We really appreciate you uh, showcasing us. And it's always a pleasure chatting with you and glad you uh, enjoyed all the beers. Yeah, I'm sure you'll see me in the next couple of days. <laughs> Sounds good. You, you know where to find me. <laughs>